The text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke 15, specifically those first seven verses which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. First is a note if you're wondering the reason why we read that whole thing is because as you, if you look at verse 3, it says that Jesus told this parable. And it's, it's singular, which means all three of these are actually one parable. So I threw in, included the prodigal son. The, the epistle and Old Testament reading were short enough that it wasn't that big of a deal. And the prodigal son, kids will hear it for VBS this week. But anyways, so Jesus is in this text... He is sitting there with tax collectors and sinners and he is eating with them. This is an action of great concern for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the the scribes. Because they had this this mind that you're you're not supposed to eat with people who are, quote, sinners, people who are bad. Because the thing is, is that they had this idea, they were doing anything and everything they could to keep the law of God. And so they would find little creative ways to try to protect themselves from sinning. And one such way was to make sure that you only ever ate dinner with certain types of people. And so they saw Jesus sitting there. And see, at this point, It's kind of interesting when you read the text, read through the Gospels, the Pharisees actually thought that Jesus should have been one of them. That he should have been eating with them. They're like, they, so they're seeing this like, Jesus, you can't be eating with those kinds of people. You know what they're going to think about you? They wanted him, they believed that he should have been eating with them. So that way he could keep his reputation. That he could keep himself from falling into sin. And it's this thinking that prompts Jesus to tell these sequences of events, these sequences of stories, which really makes out to be one giant parable. All three telling the same thing in three different ways. And so this, and you even could kind of get the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees in this text. Many times when I've read verse 7, I'd read that like Jesus was just kind of like gave a growly face when he says, just so I tell you there will be more, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. But as I studied a little bit into this text and learned about the the nature of the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, you actually realize that Jesus actually would have said it in more of a joking manner. Not that what he was saying was a joke, but he knows that he would be looking at them, the Pharisees, because he knew that they would know he is right. And they would say, oh yeah, you're right, We're, we're sinners just like them. So you could almost hear it's like, just as there's, so you can hear, hear him always saying, like, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people, righteous people who don't need repentance. Kind of that kind of, kind of model, kind of response. There's actually some level of 
At this point, Jesus is a little bit more friendly with the Pharisees. But in the middle is this parable that tells something that's very familiar. There are many people that are familiar with, the people in that time were very familiar with shepherding. And they would know how it is that sometimes a sheep would get lost. And the reason it happened was basically because the sheep would move from place to place, being led by the shepherd. And so there'd be a whole group of sheep. So Jesus uses this nice round number of 100. And this is also letting you know that this is like the community sheep. So it doesn't belong to one person. It actually belongs to the entire town. And so they're all there and... You know, all at a spot, and, all, and the time comes that the shepherd speaks his voice, and it might be he has a word, or it might be he sings a little song, whatever it may be, it gives attention to all of the sheep that it is time to move. And so when he does that, all of them start following. But every now and then it happens that one of the sheep don't hear the voice. And so they stay there while all the other sheep leave. And so it may happen a long while after that they realize that the sheep is gone. And so as it says here, the shepherd would leave those 99 sheep and go and seek out that one. Because a sheep is not like a dog or a cat who tends to be able to find their way back home. Sheep are actually very dumb animals, in case you don't know. And so, so the task ends up being for the shepherd to go out and find them. He leaves some of the under-shepherds behind to care for the 99, while he goes out and seeks that one lost sheep. And the reason is, is because what this sheep will do, as soon as he realizes that he's all by himself, He's going to go find, the, find whatever bush he can find and he's going to sit there and he's going to hide and he's going to cower and he's going to start bleeding the whole time extremely loud so that any predator that is nearby will be certain to hear it. The sheep doesn't think that, but that's actually what's going to happen. So it ends up being a challenge between the shepherd Who will find the sheep first? Will it be the shepherd? Or will it be the wolf? And so the shepherd looks and looks and looks to find that sheep. And finally he comes to that sheep and he finds it. And he can't just go to the sheep, come like again, like a cat or a dog or whatever, just leave out some food. It's like, come on out, it's okay. Can't do that with a sheep. The sheep is just going to stay there. Even if it is the shepherd's voice, which it obeys every other time, at this moment, nothing is going to get that sheep to move because it is so petrified with fear. And it feels that the best, its safest place is to sit right in that bush. So what the shepherd has to do is pick up that sheep and usually in the, I actually kind of looked online to try to look at some of the pictures of Jesus when he carries the little sheep on his shoulders. It's always a nice, cute, little, itty-bitty sheep. It's an easy one to carry. 
But actually, when Jesus is telling this parable, he more than likely has in mind a full-grown adult sheep. Those tend to be, anybody know how much those usually weigh? 50 pounds, would that be too, too, heavy, too light? I don't know. But anyway, so any of you who know that, you know how heavy they might be. So we're talking, let's just say 50 pounds is a round number. There might be more, might be heavier than that. Carrying that sheep, you know, two, three miles back to the other 99. That's where you learn that shepherds had a lot of strength. The only thing the sheep would do is when the, probably you could imagine, you could almost imagine that when he reaches in to grab the sheep, he might be biting and scratching and clawing. And he might even be doing some kicking while he carries the sheep back. But he, nonetheless, he carries that sheep on his back all the way back to the other 99. This is the image that Jesus is evoking in the minds of, this crowd, of these, the people that, he's, that are present. This is an image that they're very familiar with. And the thing is, is that they, when they hear Jesus, that last line, that last verse, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, Jesus is letting them know that at one time or another, every single one of them is that lost sheep. Every single one of them have gone astray. Every single one of them are born into sin, inherited from their first parents, Adam and Eve. Ever since their first parents, they have lived in that sin. They have committed sin in many and various ways. And like the sheep, we do not go out seeking after God. That's why if you ever hear, find to go to a church and they say, we're seeker sensitive, that's, you just... You see that? Just turn around and go find another church because that church apparently does not read its Bible. Because the Bible says there are no seekers. So to have a seeker-sensitive church is like having a, a Superman-sensitive church. Superman doesn't exist, exist except for in comics, and seekers don't exist except for in our imagination. No one seeks God. We are like that sheep cowering in the bush, making plenty of noise and thinking that we are just comfortable and cozy and safe there. All the while, the wolf who is the devil is prowling and looking and waiting for the perfect time to come and devour us. And so, and so the time, so our Lord through the hands of his servants. And by the way, his servants are literally every single person. Every, I mean, every single Christian. Not just the pastor. It's kind of a, there's an interesting little, there's a guy named Craig Parton. He's a, he's a great apologist. He used to be a lawyer and has now written some great books about defending the Christian faith. He used to be in a megachurch evangelical um, Actually, I think it's Baptist, maybe. And he was talking about how Baptists are so much better at doing evangelism than Lutherans are. 
Their theology might be a little off about evangelism, but they do it a lot more than Lutherans. Because with Lutherans, we basically have two evangelism strategies. One, have babies. Two, the pastor does it. That's it. Well, not that the pastor does babies, but you know what I mean. So that's the, so that's the idea. If you're a laity, if you're non-pastor, the only evangelism people think they need to do is have kids and make sure they go to church. And the, beyond that, the pastor's supposed to do the rest of it. The crazy thing, the thing that those evangelicals and those Baptists actually have it right is that evangelism is for every single Christian, without exception. When, God, when Jesus said to his disciples that you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that was not a suggestion. It was not like, well, if you get around to it, if you find time, if you find people willing to listen, go do it. No, he said, no, it's, this is an obligation. If he didn't want you to be doing it, then you wouldn't be here. Raise your hand if you're here. Okay. Physically, I'm not asking mentally at the moment. Actually, if nobody, somebody did raise their hands, that's probably a sign of mentally no. <laughs> but that, if you raise your hand, that means your job is to tell people about Christ. To tell people of the gospel. Because the reality is, is one time you were that sheep. Helpless. And the only reason that you have faith is because one of God's servants, whether it be your parents, and by the way, yes, having children, believe it or not, is an effective evangelism strategy. It's just not, it should not be our end all. But when you were born, maybe for some of us, a few months in, a few weeks in, maybe it was the day of, your parents brought you to, a, to the baptismal font, and the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was Jesus coming to you. You hunkered underneath that bush, scared to do anything, absolutely helpless. That was our Lord stooping down, grabbing you, grabbing hold of you, and lifting you on his shoulders and carrying you to the flock, to the people of God, the ones who are declared righteous, the ones who have been washed of their sin. Baptism is the entryway into the church of God. This is why if you go to any of our seminaries and many of our concordias, right at the entryway to the church is a baptismal font. And the font is uncovered. And there's usually water in it. The reason is, is that you may dip the fingers, your fingers in that water, make the sign of the cross, to remind yourself that it is by the waters of baptism that you enter into the church of God. And I've actually thought maybe here would actually probably work to move that up there. We have enough room up there. Uh, the other two churches won't happen. May cities is too heavy to move, and there's not a lot of room for Zion. But this actually would work wonderful right in that middle. 
right in that entryway. Reminder that you, that's how you came into the church. You were helpless to save yourselves. You are that sheep. And the thing is, is the reality is that Jesus, when he carried us on his back, was not when he carried a sheep. It was when he carried the beam that is the cross. That cross beam weighed about 125 pounds. So imagine if you went out, you know, went out this door, went down the street, just past the Christian Reformed, and then took whatever your normal route from there to the cemetery. The, get, kind of get that image as to how far that would be? Imagine carrying a 125-pound wo- wooden beam th- that entire distance on your back. That is what Jesus had to do when he was crucified. And he was, that wooden beam, he was led there just to be nailed to it and to suffer and to slowly suffocate and to die. And that beam that he was carrying was the weight of our sin, of every last sin that you have ever committed, right down to the littlest of white lies. He was carrying. Just as this shepherd sought out and carried that one sheep on his back, Jesus carried the entire world on his back as he carried that cross. He carried their sin. Every single sin. So you watch on the news, you see a horrible thing that's happened. You say, I cannot believe that happened. That people would do this. Jesus made himself guilty of that. You hear that case of that boy that's in Stanford. And that judge. You know their sin? Jesus is guilty of that. He became guilty. You know when... The World Trade Centers were attacked. The Muslims don't carry that guilt. Jesus did. They've not received the forgiveness, but he did take the guilt. That time that you got really angry and said something you shouldn't have said to someone, he carried that. He was guilty. That moment where you lied. That moment that you cheated on something. That, for that, Jesus became guilty. That's what it means when he was carrying our guilt. He had to seek us out and pick us up to carry us to salvation. See, you have nothing there is no, you have no pride in your salvation. What I mean by that, there's no pride in yourself. You can't go around and say, look at me, I'm a Christian. Unless you truly, that's actually you're better to say, look at me, I am baptized. Why? 
Because you did not baptize yourself. That's why baptism is the ultimate image of God's grace. No one baptizes himself. You read in scripture, it always says, whoever is baptized was baptized. It's always in the passive. It's done to you, not by you. Your salvation is every ounce of it is a credit to our God. It is his work. You did nothing. And that is actually kind of that is actually awesome. And so we who have been brought back to the fold, we who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we who are residents of his kingdom. As I've mentioned before, you look at the top of this church. It's shaped like the underside of a boat. We were brought into the ark of the Christian church. That's why it's shaped that way. That's why we have a steeple, which is, a symbol, which is like a mast on a ship. We are on the ship of Christ. We are on the ark of the Christian church. On the voyage, heading to the, etern- to the resurrection. But until that day comes, there are many, many people outside of the boat, outside of the ark, drowning and perishing. And we cannot be content to just keep our minds inside of the ark. When we see someone drowning, our job isn't to go, ah, that's just their business. You know, I don't want to offend them. If they want to drown, that's fine by them. Which, yeah, if they want to, they can But you should be saying, hey, salvation is here. Jesus is salvation. You are to be declaring what Christ has done. Because it is by the word that people are drawn from the drowning waters to the safety of the ark of the church. There's no other way people come to faith than by you being witnesses. There are many, many millions, billions of people in this world perishing. Be witnesses that they may join us, that Christ be the ones that bear that word, that Christ may lift them on his shoulders and carry them into the church where there is salvation. Until that day comes, to him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith and a life everlasting, amen. Please stand and sing, Create in Me.